Well, praise the Lord. If you have your Bible this morning, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to talk this morning very briefly from the subject that Jesus is alive. He is alive. Amen. Today is the day that we traditionally celebrate what's called the Easter holiday, Easter Sunday, culminates on today. Uh, 40 days of Lent, some people celebrate that. Uh, Palm Sunday, some people celebrate that. And then uh, most of, uh, you know, a lot of the world celebrates Easter Sunday. And they really, a lot of folks don't even know why. I know for us as Christians, uh, we don't celebrate Easter so much as it were. Though we may do some Easter egg hunts and, and eat some chocolate bunnies, that's okay. But our celebration is really the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what we celebrate. This is the resurrection. This event that we celebrate as the church is the foundational tenet of Christianity. It is the very foundational tenet. It is the thread that sews Christianity all together. Because without it, there would be no Christianity. Which, by the way, is a people, not a religion. Amen. This foundational tenet, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is what separates Christianity from religion. Not from other religions, but from religion, period. Because Christianity is not a religion, it's not a club, but it is a people. It is who we are, not what we do. And this foundation that we celebrate is paramount, this resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is so paramount that David once said in Psalms 11, verse 3, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? What will we do? There is nothing we can do if this foundation is not here for us. The resurrection means so many things to us, both Christians and non-Christians alike. The resurrection is important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ uh, also revealed his name to us. And I'm going to show you that in a moment. It not only gave us an opening, a path to reconnect with the Lord, to get back to the place that we once were with God, but it also revealed really what Jesus' name means. Why? Because he's alive. He is alive. Jesus died on the cross for you and I, and we saw an illustration this morning. Yes, it was a graphic illustration, but I'll tell you this this morning, that even as graphic an illustration that you saw this morning, it does not do justice to what Jesus really went through on the cross. Uh, it really doesn't. To see that, and then to imagine the father viewing his son go through that, that he might redeem a people Imagine what he must have gone through. We'll talk about that in a moment as well. But the crucifixion and the death of Christ was not the final chapter, was it? In fact, it was only the beginning. That was actually the birth 
of the church. Because three days later, come on, the stone was rolled away and Jesus rose from the grave after taking captivity captive. Come on, he conquered death and the grave and is yet alive today and he reigns at the right hand of the Father. He was resurrected. Now, let's look at Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 12. Bible says this, it says, Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Paul was dealing with something way back then, wasn't he? But, he says, if there is no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is also in vain. In other words, if he didn't rise from the dead, what are we doing? Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep, verse 18, in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, listen to this now, we are of all men the most pitiable. In other words, if this is all we have to look forward to, then pity on us. But now, now, Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21. For since man came, for since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Why? For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. How many know that death is an enemy? Resurrection ensures us that death no longer has power over us. It can no longer horrify us. Death is conquered. Fears are conquered. They're removed. Do you know that on planet Earth this year, 50 million people will die in the flesh? There will be about 50 million deaths this year. Death is an enemy. I wonder how many of those deaths will result and someone not sure of where they're going after they die. For us who have given our life to the Lord, we have a blessed assurance. We were made to live and live forever. But, 
I cannot save myself from my sin, nor can any scientist, any lecturer, any philosopher. No one can save themselves. That is why the resurrection is our hope. That is why it is the foundational tenet of Christianity. It is why, though some of you have been in church for 30 years, we talk about it every single year. And more often than that. Because it is our foundation. It is the only way back to the Father. See, if Jesus didn't die, we are yet in our sins. Because the wages of sin is what? And all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. Every last one of us. Without the sacrifice that Jesus made for us, there is no salvation. You see, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Without Jesus, not dying on the cross, but without Jesus raising again. Without the Holy Spirit reaching down with power and raising him from the dead. Brother, sister, we are lost. We are lost. Bible says in Ephesians 1 verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood. We have the forgiveness of sins. What? According to his riches. The riches of his grace. We have the forgiveness of sin. I'm not talking about the sin that you committed yesterday. I'm talking about every sin that everyone ever committed and ever will. We have forgiveness through his grace. He's done it for us. All we have to do is accept what he's already done. We are a people that cannot work our way into heaven. Come on. We can't help a few old people across the street maybe give out some money on Thanksgiving, give a couple of extra Christmas gifts to someone and say, listen, I'm a good person. Certainly God knows my heart. I'll tell you this morning, yes, he does know your heart. And the heart is evil and wicked above all things. Jeremiah 17, 9. He knows your heart no matter what you've done because God doesn't judge your heart by the deeds that you do. He can look right through that flesh and see exactly what's in your heart. He created you. He molded you. He formed you. If anyone knows how you tick, it is God. That's why it's about relationship with us and God. We cannot do enough deeds to work our way into heaven. But thank the Lord he did it for us. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. That's in the Old Testament. A little bit before Jeremiah. Isaiah chapter 53. Let's see exactly what he did. What does salvation mean? What does it mean to be saved? To be born again? Well, let's look. Isaiah 53. I'm going to start up at verse 1. Isaiah... The Lord through Isaiah said this, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. He's talking about Jesus. And as a root out of dry ground. Now listen to this. This is not on the board. You have to read it in your Bible. 
He says, he has no form or comeliness. Are you listening? Isaiah said that Jesus would come and he has no form or comeliness. What does that mean? That means he didn't come looking like Brad Pitt or Denzel Washington. He didn't come with anything that would distract you from the reason he really came. So when you see all the pictures of the blonde hair, blue eye, whatever it may be, Jesus, muscles, whatever it may be, the Bible says that he had no form or comeliness. No. In fact, there's another verse that says his hair was like wool. He wasn't trying to physically attract you to the kingdom. But his word would change you. His word would stand. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. It's no trickery. He is despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of your iniquity, past, future, and present, God laid on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why his death was so graphic. That's why he suffered such a horrific death on the cross for you and for I. It's because all the sin that everyone ever committed was upon him. And he was redeeming us. He was redeeming us though we didn't even know he was doing it. Never asked him to do it. But yet he redeemed us anyway. So what did he do? What did he do for us on the cross and when he resurrected? Well, number one, he bore our grief. Any grief that you might have, he already bore it. He carried our sorrows. He was wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions and he was bruised for our iniquities. Now let me just tell you real quick the difference between transgressions and iniquities. Transgressions, those are things that you commit. When you commit a sin, you have transgressed the law. When you go 65 on Route 37 where it says go 60, you have transgressed the law. You have gone past what was allowed. You have stepped over the line. That's a transgression. And so you may say, well, okay, transgression, uh, I understand that. But you know what? Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. Uh, but you know what? For transgressions, why don't I just not do that? Why do I need him to uh, die on the cross for that? I'll just not transgress. I'll just, in myself, I'll determine I won't transgress. Well, now let me explain to you iniquity. Iniquity is the reason that you transgress. You cannot help it but to transgress. 
ever heard the story of the scorpion and the frog? I'm sure I've, I've told it here. But there was a scorpion that was on one side of the riverbank. And the scorpion wanted to get to the other side of the riverbank. But the scorpion could not swim. So he said, boy, if I jump in this water and try to make it, I'm not going to make it. But I sure would like to get to the other side. Well, down the riverbank a little ways was a frog. Now, frogs can swim. But frogs don't like being around scorpions. For obvious reasons. Well, the scorpion said, well, I know the frog doesn't like me very much, but he's my only way across. Let me go see if I can convince him to give me a ride to the other side. So the scorpion went down to talk to the frog. He said, Mr. Frog, now he had to keep his distance because the frog might run away. He said, can I come talk to you? Frog said, yeah, as long as you keep your distance, what do you want? He said, would you give me a ride to the other side of the riverbank? I would hop on your back, and you just give me a ride over there, let me off, and you can go on about your way. The frog said, man, you must be crazy. Because as soon as you hop on my back and we start going across the river, you're going to sting me, and then I will die. And the scorpion said, now wait a minute. Think about this for a moment. If we're out in the middle of the river, and I sting you with my poison, and you die then I'll sink and die. And the frog said, hmm, wait a minute. You got a point. Yeah, that makes sense to me. He, he can't sting me because if he stings me, he will also die and he doesn't want to die, right? So he said, okay, that sounds good. I'll do it. Hop on. So scorpion hopped on. They're going across the river. About middle ways across the river, the scorpion stings the frog. Frog gathers the poison in his system dies. Scorpion dies because he can't swim. But the frog right before he died looked up at the scorpion and said, whoop, whoop, why did you sting me? You know you're going to die too. The scorpion said, I know. I can't help it. It's what I do. I'm a scorpion. <laughs> it's who I am. And let me tell you something. As offensive as it may sound, that's who you are without Christ. Your flesh is born in sin and shapen in iniquity. You cannot help but transgress the law. But Jesus on the cross not only took all of your sins, your transgressions, what I'm trying to get you to see is he was bruised for your iniquity. Iniquity is a chink in your armor. But because he died on the cross and because of the bruising he took, he took your iniquity away. He made you a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And now your iniquity is washed away. But he didn't stop there. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. I'm talking about a peace that's not just the absence of war, but I'm talking about a comfort peace that you cannot even comprehend. He gave to you. His suffering brings peace to us. And by his stripes, the stripes that he took on his back 
every sickness, every disease, not only sin, but every sickness and every disease was on his shoulders. And by his stripes, Peter said, we were healed. It's already done. He's done it for us. He has done it for us. Our healing, our peace, our salvation because our transgressions and our iniquities are taken away. And should there be any sorrow or grief, he sent a comforter to comfort you. Even when your family won't comfort you, Christ is there to comfort you. Turn to Philippians chapter 2. How did he do this? And this is what I really want to get to. How did he do it? What happened? Why is it that all of these things happen? Philippians chapter 2. Look at this. Start at about verse, start at verse 5. Philippians 2 verse 5. Bible says, let, let this mind be in you, which also was also in Christ. Who, listen now, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but he made himself of no reputation. Remember, we just read. There was no beauty, physical beauty in him. He made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant. This is the creator of the world, the one that breathed the breath of life into you and I. He took on the form of a servant. This is the one that the creator who submitted himself to his own creation in order to redeem them. Took the form of a servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has been given the name that is above every name. The resurrection revealed the name unto us. The name of Jesus. And once he was given that name, we being in him, he gave us that name. Do you realize the implications of that? The same Holy Spirit that not raised him from the dead, that resurrected him to die no more is living and dwelling in you if you have given your life to the Lord. If you have confessed with your mouth and accepted the Lord, that same spirit is dwelling within you. And you have every right to use the name of Jesus. Now you see the implications of the name. It is the name that is above every name. It is the name that is above every sickness, every relationship problem, every employment problem, every financial problem, every problem the enemy could possibly think about throwing your way. The name of Jesus is already above it. And you've been given that name. Now, you might not be excited about that, 
But I'm talking about the Almighty God. I'm talking about the Father of the universe. The one who breathed and stars came out. The one who spoke and there was light. The one who formed you from the dust of the ground and breathed into you the breath of life. The one that sustains you. The one that doesn't need a battery or some kind of power outlet. Come on, to make your heart beat every day for 85 years. Come on, somebody. I'm talking about the Almighty God has given you his DNA and he's given you his life and his name. Now, to me, that's something to be excited about. I believe in the Lord. I believe in the cross, and I believe in the resurrection. He is a God who saved us, but he is also a God of unlimited second chances. That's what I love about him. And we need to believe in that. I believe in that this morning. I believe in the God of second chances. I believe in the God who is not put off by our failures. Come on, isn't that a good thing to have? A God who is not phased by your failures. Every time we fail, we feel embarrassed. I don't want people to know I failed. God's not put off by that. In fact, he already knew you were going to have that failure before you even thought you might even have the failure. Come on. We, I believe in a God who has canceled all your debt. He has canceled your debt of sin. Canceled it. It's done. I believe in God who loves you with an unlimited love. There is no limit to his love. Now, I don't have time to go into it this morning, but there are some implications of that statement right there. Because I know, uh, you know, some of my kids can, can put a press on my limit of love. Come on. Some of my friends can put a press on my limit sometimes. But boy, if I had time to go into it, there's nothing you can do. Now, God will chastise you, of course, but that's because he loves you. <laughs> but you cannot push his love away. David said, he has set his love upon me. He set it there. And when God sets it, you ain't moving it. <laughs> Come on. Nothing you can do. I don't care where you run, where you hide, where you go. David said what? If I make my bed in hell, there you are with me. Long as God is with me. I believe in God who can and will forgive you of everything. It's mind-boggling. All my wrongs, my mistakes... And my past can be forgiven. God's forgiveness is now and it's inexhaustible according to his word. It's exciting to me. I believe in a God who is merciful. Mercy. The giving of a second chance. And there's no limit to his second chances. See, God never gives you a third and fourth chance. Never a fifth and sixth chance. Only second chances. Now, some may say, wait a minute, only second chances. Well, I exhausted that a long time ago. Well, he throws our sin and our iniquity into the sea of forgetfulness. And so every time he gives you a second chance, he wipes that away and you're clean again. So now you're back to one. And you can get another second chance. Now, I don't want to tell you what Paul said. He said, does that mean that I can just take advantage of his grace? God forbid. God forbid. Don't do that. You don't want to go there. Turn over to Romans chapter 10. See, I cannot save myself. All of this goodness, all that God has done for me. And I want to tell you something. You know, the prevailing thought about the cross and why we saw it this morning. Jesus looked up at his father and said, my God, my God, 
Why hast thou forsaken me? Why did you forsake me? And we know that all of the sin was put upon Jesus. In fact, the Bible, it, it wasn't just that the sin was put upon him. He became sin. Right, Sister Lord? He became sin. That became who he was at that point. And so, he, you know, God had to forsake him. God had to turn his head away. Uh, the, the, and I've been preaching for years that the reason why God had to turn the Father, had to turn his head away from Jesus, is because no sin could be in the presence of the Lord. And so he had to forsake him. And then God showed me something else to add on to that. Not only did he have to turn away because no sin can be in his presence, but you have to understand that God's very nature is Savior. And so if God was looking at Jesus, he would have saved him because that's who he is. So to prevent himself from saving his own son, he had to forsake him. Now, I don't know about you, but imagine your son or your daughter taking a beating like that. You would have to turn away if you knew it had to happen. There's no way you could watch that. There's no way that could be in your presence. Because God is Savior. He's not a Savior. He is salvation. It's who he is. But the thing of it is, he did all of this for us. There will be people who will go and stand before the Lord when this whole thing is over with. And sadly, he will say, depart from me. For I never knew you. Now here's the thing about it. I didn't come this morning to give you a fire and brimstone message to make you scared of hell. To tell you, you know, that if you don't give your life to the Lord or you haven't given your life to the Lord, that you're going to be in the same bucket with Satan, death, and the grave. And you'll all be thrown into the lake of fire, separated from God forever uh, in that lake along with Satan. Uh, God's not trying to scare you that morning with th this morning with that. But he wants to tell you that he loves you and there is an abundant life waiting for you. There is an abundant life waiting for you, but you, if you're not saved, have to make that decision. Romans chapter 10. We know this very well. Look at Romans 10 and start at verse 8. Romans 10, 8 says this. But what does it say? The word is near you, even right now. Even in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if, 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 you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes to righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no Jew nor Greek, no have a lot of hair or being bald, no skinny or fat, man, woman, whatever it is. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. God only sees two people. 
Now, uh, just a side note to that, some people say God doesn't see color. Well, that's, that's a lie. He does. Of course he does. He makes color, and, he's, and it's beautiful. He likes all sorts of color. He just doesn't discriminate against color, right? But the thing about it is, God only really sees two kind of people, saved and unsaved. That's right, Brother Chris. Only two kinds. You, that, and that's it. There's a line. He said in Revelation, I would that you be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I spew you. I will regurgitate you, literally, out of my mouth. You're either one or the other. In this world today, of so many gray areas, everybody following their own heart, doing what they believe is right, there is a line in black and white, and it's called the Holy Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. And you are either saved or not saved. That's it. Now the thing of it is, if you are saved and you're on the Lord's side, you are alive in Christ. In fact, you already have eternal life, even stuck in this body. Just waiting for that day when you will shed this flesh. And you will be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And you will be given a body not made with hands, with human hands. Come on, somebody. A body that will never get sick again. A body that will never be hurt. A body that will never be offended. That's all we're waiting on. But in the meantime, guess what? Let me give you one more scripture. I'm done. Turn over to Luke. Turn over to Luke chapter 18 here's here's the thing about it when we say the resurrection and we're talking about we have a hope it's we have a hope in the eternal life when we leave this body when when we die in this body and we go on to be with the lord we have a hope for if christ is not raised from the dead then we are of all men the most pitiable because we preach christ and we're just acting if he hasn't been raised from the dead. If he hasn't been resurrected. But he has been resurrected. And we have a life over there. Amen. I thank the Lord for it. Let me show you something though. Look at Luke chapter 18. I don't have it up there, but just listen. Luke chapter 18. Look at, uh, look at verse 29. This Jesus is going to be talking here. He says, so he said to them, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or parents or brothers or wife or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, let me stop you. When, when he's talking about that, I don't have time to go into it, but he's not talking about you forsake your mother or you, you turn your back. He's talking about priorities. He's talking about there's not one who has put God who has put me first, God is saying, above all these other things. Because if you put me first, you'll be a better husband. You put me first, you'll be a better mom and a better dad. You'll be a better aunt. You'll be a better employee. That's what he's saying. There's not one of you who has not put me first, verse 30, who shall not receive many times more in the present time and in the age to come. He's talking about now. He said, I come that you might have life. And what? Have it more abundantly. Have a more abundant life right now. Don't wait till the time to come. I know that we're going to have a great time when we all get to heaven. But guess what? Heaven is here now. And if you want that kind of heaven, all you have to do is give your life to the Lord. Today, today is your day to be alive. Today is a time for you to be newborn. Today is a day for you to start over. 
Today is a day for you to respond, to become alive in your heart and accept Jesus as your Savior. Today is a day to call on the name of the Lord. A small step of faith will become a major step in eternity and in your life now. And so I implore you this morning, now let us respond to be alive in Christ. You must reach out to Christ. It takes a heart of believing, a prayer that opens your life to Jesus.